Hello, I'm Father Mitch Paqua, and welcome to EWTN Live. We're bringing you guests from all over the world. Uh, tonight, of course, we are getting ready for our Thanksgiving celebrations. And we, while you're cutting up celery and making stuffing and all the other stuff, we would like to present to you a guest who's from not too far away in the world. He is the Bishop Emeritus of the Diocese of Birmingham, Alabama. And it's always a treat to have him by, to stop around this time of year. Uh, we're getting into the holiday season. Again, tomorrow's Thanksgiving, and then Advent will start, and Christmas uh, is coming up in just a few weeks. And he's here to help us spiritually prepare for these times with family and with recalling how Christ took on human flesh in his incarnation. And Christ reminds us, even in these turbulent times, that God is here. That's what Emmanuel means, God among us. He has not withdrawn from the world. God has not deserted us. And Bishop has written a new book that gives us daily meditations for the Advent and Christmas seasons. His new book is called Rejoicing in Our Hope, Meditations for the Advent and Christmas Seasons. So please welcome my guest, Bishop Robert J. Baker. Bishop Baker, welcome. Father Mitch, greetings to you. Good, Good to, to have you back. Good to be back. Yeah, first of all, are you enjoying retirement? Uh, definitely. I recommend it, uh, but not till you're 65 or 75 or 80, so you can hang around a while. So. Yeah, well, I'm 74. Oh, you are? Well, <laughs> yeah. you got, okay, you're catching up with me. Yeah, I think you're <laughs> keeping pace. Uh, but, uh, but my superiors, they want me to work until... Yeah. You know, squeeze that orange till the pulp is out. Uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, I'm kind of the ghost of Christmas past. I have uh, been with you in the past uh, celebrating exactly. uh, the Christmas season as well. And uh, so uh, I did some a series of uh, actually taped uh, interviews that were on the Christmas season and then later the Advent season as well some years ago. So... Some of those made it into this, uh, this book uh, called Rejoicing in Our Hope, Meditations for the Advent and Christmas Seasons. And the emphasis is on seasons because uh, we often look at uh, Advent, well, that's a season, uh, but then Christmas is over Christmas Day. So my, uh, my hope is that people will rediscover the importance of Advent as a season and celebrate it. Um, it's often a season that gets kind of pushed aside. Mm -hmm. And also um, the Christmas season as well. And uh, we have some of the symbols around us here of Advent and also Christmas. Um, uh, I'd like just to say the Advent, uh, the Advent wreath, uh, lighting the Advent candles mm -hmm. and uh, other symbols like the Jesse tree. Uh, we have some symbols that are put on a tree before Christmas. Uh, these are kind of ways to get ahead in the sense of um, preparing, hoping. And then Advent is a time of patience, uh, entering into the spirit of our, uh, our Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, and um, getting in a sense of 
opening our hearts to the grace and blessing of the Advent season. Well, uh, a couple things. Uh, first, uh, about your book. Uh, the way that you have written this and it's designed is for a family to take one of these meditations and reflections on either Advent or Christmas season and pray it together. You know, I, as I was reading through it, uh, my own mental picture was that after dinner, because, you know, when kids are hungry, you better feed them. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, after a family dinner uh, at the table, this would be the kind of book for mom and dad to pull out and use, as, as you described there, light a candle. And you go through the weeks of Advent to show that you light the candle. And th that's always nice because kids like to see candles lit. They, you know, th that fascinates them. And especially when it's something, say, at table. And then to read one of these meditations and you have a collect type of prayer, a little prayer at the end so that the family can pray and pray together reflecting on aspects of Advent or Christmas. I think that's one of the very important parts of your book because A, too many families are racing from one sporting event and school activity and parish activity after another, plus work and two jobs and all the other things. And I think this would encourage families to have a meal together and then sit and pray together. I, I agree with you. And I try to make it Advent friendly in the sense of the theme of Advent and Christmas friendly by uh, having pictures in there to bring the children in so it's child friendly as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, while the, the topics eventually are maybe um, challenging, but I think they can, the parents can help relate them, uh, the themes to the children. And primarily the themes are on um, joy and hope. Yeah, let me give a little quote from the book that points this out. It says, hope is a future-oriented virtue. It acknowledges that there is a future awaiting us that is much, much better than the present. The virtue of hope, with its orientation to the future, enables us to handle present distresses and struggles in a positive way. I think that's, that, that really points out something. And you refer to hope throughout your book. Both in the Advent season and, and Christ Christmas. I, I just think hope is <clears throat> the missing virtue in our society today mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. Huh? We're in a time right now uh, of great distress, uh, almost mm -hmm. of desperation over what's going to happen on the world scene. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do we recapture a sense of hope, that virtue of hope in a time like this. So I hope these, I hope these meditations do that. And it's a future-oriented virtue, but it impacts the present. And that's kind of where joy comes into the picture. Um, 
St. Thomas Aquinas uh, has a nice description of joy. Uh, he says it's the possession of some good in the here and now. That's gaudium rei, the, the joy of a reality here and now. Uh, and <clears throat> principally through prayer, we experience that. And most importantly, the Eucharist is the high point of joy in our lives. Possession of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. I have a, uh, one or two chapters on that. And also um, there's the Gaudium Spei, Gaudium Rei, Gaudium Spei, the joy of hope. So uh, we, we have that uh, experience of some future uh, joy by hope, the mm -hmm. joy of hope that we have now. So you can have joy and hope. We don't experience peace but we work for it. I dedicated this book to the Marchers for Life in Washington, D.C. And the, um, the Supreme Court justices, the five who voted uh, to defend the infant in the womb and uh, the, 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 the no longer does Roe v. Wade uh, exist because of five courageous people. Who would have known that that day would come, but it came but some people had to hope, they had to march for years. Mm -hmm. And I think of the woman, Nellie Gray, yes, who was yes. uh, the one who started that, an attorney uh, who began the Marches for Life and, and brought many uh, young people from around the world, around the United States to march there. And it was that woman that inspired the March for Life. And here, she's deceased, she didn't live to see the day that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. But, but she was a woman of hope that's who it. didn't say, well, my life is meaningless unless I see it. That was not her attitude. Right. Her attitude was, we have to end this very wicked decision by the Supreme Court. Uh, like we ended other wicked decisions, Dred Scott and the um, Plessy versus Ferguson. These were bad decisions. And she had... She had a hope in Christ that this would come to an end. Well, it's like what we're experiencing now in the Middle East. Uh, you've led 60 or so pilgrimages there. Mm -hmm. um, right now, the situation doesn't look so good. Mm -mm. What's going to be the resolution? Well, I, I hope that people will take advantage of this Advent season as kind of a time of prayer and fasting and carry on even somewhat in the Christmas season, although we do want to pull out the stops and enjoy then, but uh, we can't let up because we could be on the brink of uh, disaster in our world, and it's not going to be our leaders that resolve this. They've got us into the troubles we're in now. Mm -hmm. It's going to be God alone. So um, we have to take these kind of situations as we did with the life issues, the unborn, to the Lord, and do the kind of things we did uh, marching to Washington, D.C. every year, the same kind of thing for the cause of peace in our world. So my book's emphasizing the virtues of hope and of joy, and I believe that uh, Advent, the Advent season and the Christmas season are those special seasons. I, I think to see that it's not only praying for political leaders 
you know, that have their talk. But, you know, when we pray and fast in the season of Advent, I, we have four, in the Roman rite, we have four weeks. I don't know if you knew this, but in the Maronite rite, we have six weeks. I didn't Apparently, know we need more. <laughs> but <laughs> but we, have, we have six weeks of, uh, the, we call it the season of announcement, preparing for Christmas. In the Roman rite, the four weeks symbolize the 4,000 years of Old Testament history. And it looks back. We read from Isaiah, you know, throughout this whole season. And we look to our roots of ancient hope for salvation going back to even the words of God, the Lord God, to, to the serpent. That when he curses the serpent, he said that, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed, and he will crush your head, and you will strike at his heel. And that is already pointing forward towards the ultimate de defeat of the serpent, of the, the ancient serpent that Revelation speaks of. And you see this hope for Abraham and the people of Israel with their covenants. All, that's what we celebrate in these four weeks, remembering our roots in the Old Testament and with the Jewish people. And at this time, as Jewish people are being threatened, especially on these Ivy League campuses, but elsewhere too, we need to pray that anybody who would have hatred towards them turns their hatred to love. And we have to pray for the protection of the Jewish people themselves. This is something that is well worth for us to consider in this particular Advent. A good, good point, Father Mitch. And uh, you're a scripture scholar. Uh, I'm not. But I think we often, um, as Christians, overlook the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. I mean, there's a wealth of messages mm -hmm. of hope there. Mm -hmm. The Psalms repeatedly have the message of hope. Yes. Uh, and you and I and uh, religious sisters, brothers, deacons and priests pray those psalms daily. And it's a rich heritage that we have inherited. And we shouldn't lose that opportunity in the season of Advent to go back to those scriptures, uh, the 45 or as some say 46 books of the Old Testament, to uh, listen to the message of God to his chosen people mm -hmm. and to try to implement them mm -hmm. and uh, to, to capture how God can make a difference and made a difference with the Jewish people. And uh, we pray we'll make a difference in the turmoils going on in the Middle East mm -hmm. today. Yes. So, and in the turmoil in our own cities, in college campuses, uh, that, that we shouldn't, you know, uh, we can't neglect that either. It's, it's pretty serious. Exactly. So the Old Testament is you know, not to be set aside. And during Advent, it, as you say, the, the, the book of the prophet Isaiah comes to the fore, but also mm -hmm. way back to, to Genesis. Yes. So we'll hear those messages and uh, we should take them to heart. <clears throat> My little book picks up on those. But I, I also want to mention that there are other uh, books out there. 
uh, I'm pushing mine, uh, mm -hmm. but there are others that do pick up on the, the Gospels uh, of Advent and, there, and other meditations. Um, but I, unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't think uh, too many people uh, really get into the Advent season. The, the culture we live in uh, pushes Christmas before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of tragic. So this time, as you mentioned, the, the Maronites, the Melkites, it's, it's six weeks, mm -hmm. and not only of prayer, but also uh, fasting. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of a season of, uh, of penitence, penitence in the Eastern Church, not so much in ours, but hopefully, hopefully this Advent it will be. But I, I can recall, you know, in Catholic school uh, back in the 50s and 60s, that we were told to give things up for Advent, okay. not quite like we do in Lent, but to give things up and make a collection of the money that we would have spent on candy, wood, soda, and all the rest, mm -hmm. uh, to make a collection of that to help poor children. That was, you know, the, the, the sisters wanted us to see the link. You give up certain things, but then you give to those who are more needy than you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, th this, you do bring up how people do respond generously to helping folks in needs. Toys for children. I know my brother uh, who <coughs> customizes motorcycles. He gets, he has, he's in great contact with all kinds of veterans and others that ride motorcycles. And they do a big collection in their little town for needy kids. And they see how bad these situa situations are. But food and clothing and toys for kids. That goes on all over the country, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's an important thing to mention mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we do promote, and you bring that up in your book. Yeah, well, this will be an opportunity too to see if we can help people who, who are um, out of their homes uh, because of this uh, war going on and uh, families who lost loved ones, um, families uh, whose um, uh, members have been kidnapped. Uh, it's a time for people in the United States not just to see this as something they have to worry about, but we can plug into that. And I, I know some religious groups are doing that right now mm -hmm. to help those because, as we know, uh, Egypt took its time in even letting refugees into their country. Yeah. I mean, who's going who's gonna to take all these thousands of refugees? Yeah. So we, we have a moral responsibility to do something when these crises come up. And the Catholic people have generally responded well mm -hmm. when we bishops have put out uh, these alarms uh, of emergencies whenever these crises come up. But we have one right now before us. We have an, a second one that we have, too, that uh, I, I think is, has appeared throughout the nation, and that is the homeless people who have come across our border. Uh, the chaos at our border is horrendous, and there are tens of thousands of children that have been brought over. Some of them, have, the federal government doesn't know where they are, and I would you know, have a lot of suspicion. Some of them are with families, some aren't. Uh, some are with traffickers. 
And there are other people living in tents and such all over, many of them fellow Catholics. And that's another area in our cities where we can say, look, um, yeah, they came here and, you know, it's, they're not here. It's, it's, it's the chaos. You can follow the news to, to see what's going on. But they're, they're not working. They're, they're in difficult situations. And they're in all of our cities. You know, it's not just in the border states anymore. They're all over. So these are another area where we can say, what can we do to help them celebrate Advent? You know, you mentioned uh, some of the various ways that uh, other cultures celebrate, especially Hispanic cultures, celebrate Advent. These are things we can also consider. Well, just picking up what you said, in your early days as a priest, you worked on the streets in mm -hmm. Chicago, I believe, mm -hmm. and I, mm -hmm. I was a pastor in uh, Florida, in Gainesville, Florida, and in St. Augustine and uh, other places, and I, uh, we had to deal with people that came from the North homeless in the 1970s. Right. The federal government cut back on um, money to mental institutions. A lot of people were put out in the streets, yep. and all they gave them was medication so they came to our churches. So uh, I was able with uh, a good Catholic people to help with uh, ecumenically start St. Francis houses in Gainesville, Florida, and in St. Augustine. And we, we helped take care of those people. But it was lay people who did this. Yeah, of course. And the churches came together. And uh, it was a flood of people coming our way in the wintertime <laughs> off Highway you know, Interstate 75 and 95. So... What, what do you do when these, uh, the immigrants come into your backyard? And the same with the situation now, people coming over the border. Uh, as bishop here in Birmingham, we saw an influx into our diocese. And uh, they came to our churches. And uh, also when uh, tornadoes hit, uh, 2011, uh, they came to us without any housing and food. So... You know, they're there. Uh, we, we didn't judge uh, why or how they got there, but they were there and we exactly. needed to help them. And, and so the need, the need is there. I'm going to pick up also on your comment about what do we do uh, liturgically. You mentioned the Hispanics. They have what's called posadas, mm -hmm. which is um, it's a celebration of Mary and Joseph looking for a home for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's celebrated about nine days before Christmas all the way to Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful celebration. They go, posada means hotel or inn. So they're looking for a place. But it's a beautiful celebration. And uh, just looking, will this place take us in? The Filipinos have, Filipino Americans have what's called Simbagobi, which is a nine day uh, evening celebration of mass in anticipation of Novena yeah. before Christmas. And I mentioned the Jesse tree. Um, we have symbols in front, and uh, they're symbols of the um, tree of Jesse, which is um, the line of Joseph and going back uh, the generations. And you take these little symbols of those uh, figures in Matthew chapter 1 mm -hmm. that list the, the genealogy of Jesus. It might be a long uh, 
gospel that many people just kind of don't ignore, but there's symbolism in them. And beautifully, the church picks those up. The little book EWTN has available to the Jesse Tree as another uh, spiritual entrance into the, the season uh, of Advent. You put them on your tree before you decorate your Christmas tree, and then mm -hmm. you take them off uh, for the Christmas season. So, I I think too, you know, in given some of the needs that exist, and and the needs are not only with the immigrants, not only with war refugees, but you know the economy seems pretty mismanaged. And a lot of people are hurting badly because of the economy. Uh, the prices of food have just skyrocketed. Fuel is, has gotten higher in the last few years. Uh, and you know, there the, are a variety of other economic issues. I think for us to help uh, you know, pray with this hope and joy, that we encourage people toward a generosity to Americans who are in need. You know, that there are, all, besides these other groups, uh, there are Americans in grave need as well. And this can be a teaching moment as we pray with families. And again, that's the orientation of your book, Family Prayer, you know, to encourage children to think about how, what can I do to be more generous uh, instead of just opening up package after package after package of toy? What can I do to be more generous to others? And I know the parishes, our parish does that, and so many other parishes do this. This is something where we can encourage the children to be part of that so they are in, you know, you know trained in a Catholic generosity and oriented away from self towards people who are worse off than they are. So here in Birmingham, we have the firehouse shelter mm -hmm. and that uh, the new building, uh, the leader of uh, raising funds for that uh, was one of our own uh, deacons, Danny Rogers, who uh, took that on as a project as a Catholic deacon, a, a permanent deacon. And uh, it's a magnificent facility that will be helping people, and they certainly uh, always appreciate help. Uh, we, we have uh, friars that work the streets mm -hmm. of downtown Birmingham mm -hmm. who are always uh, looking for volunteers as they go out uh, into the streets with food. And um, uh, you're, uh, we also have a women's uh, shelter that uh, is looking for help here. Mm -hmm. And you're aware uh, of the... Chinacolo community of Mother Elvira Petrazzi, yes, a dear yes. friend of mine who died this past August. Um, I was fortunate to be with her uh, at her bedside. They had a marvelous festival honoring 40 years of her work. But that woman with a third grade education saw a need to help people on the streets <clears throat> and eventually started her own uh, apostolate 40 years ago. And it blossomed. There are over 70 communities throughout the mm -hmm. world. Today, their houses principally assist people with addictions. And uh, the addiction problem in our country, in America, has not lessened. It's grown uh, exponentially. So the need <clears throat> for helping people with addiction, not 
judging them, but trying to come up with a way to respond to that problem also is before us in Advent and Christmas. And there have been many people helping Chinaclo. We have houses now in Florida and also here in Alabama. And uh, many wonderful people have helped us help them. And it's really our uh, coming with food for them, uh, also praying for them, and then uh, reaching out to let people know there is hope, mm-hmm. even for pe- people with addiction. Uh, I, I didn't see, before I met Mother Elvira, much hope for people that are struggling in that way. But once I met her, I know there's hope for every single person. Um, there's a price tag. Mm-hmm. Um, Mother Elvira is like Nick Saban. Nick Saban says... Who, <coughs> by the way, so, so that people outside of this great state of Alabama know, he's the coach of the frequently uh, national championship uh, Red Tide uh, University Roll of Alabama tide, yeah. team. So, um, Crimson Tide, sorry. Yeah, so he has, <coughs> he has this phrase, there are two kinds of pain in life, the pain caused by discipline and the pain caused by disappointment. And you, take a, you choose which one you want, but if you're on his team, you'll choose discipline. Well, Mother Elvira also has that, that um, perspective mm-hmm. that you, have to, you won't get over addiction without a discipline of prayer, of work, of dialogue, of openness to other people. So there's a discipline to it. And um, pain is part of, you have to be able to embrace pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, our Catholic faith helps us to embrace pain, uh, embrace the cross, take up your cross and follow me, link our cross with Jesus. The, the drug culture is a result of people escaping pain, not being able to embrace it the right way, in a way that is redemptive. And so Mother Elvira has done that with her communities. It's not uh, the only community, it's not the only solution, but it's one that utilize our Catholic, our Catholic beliefs. I mentioned her, uh, yes. her program twice yes. in, in the Advent season and in the Christmas season as a, as a sign of hope. And parents that are out there, you need to realize it's not over, mm-hmm. that you just should not give up, ever, ever give up on your son or daughter, husband or wife, spouse, uh, whatever, friend, family member. Um, it's, the answer isn't uh, only with uh, medications. In fact, you have to be very careful in that area. Uh, Principally, every successful program goes to the higher power for help. And um, doing that, as I have seen happen, uh, people uh, are able to find joy and hope. And uh, it's because of God. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. ultimately the only real, only, only real hope for the world and the only true joy um, that is infallible is God and our relationship with God. I think I want to pick up on that when we come back. We have to take a little break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes, so please stay with us.
All right, we are discussing a wonderful book to help us pray and reflect and meditate through the season of Advent and the season of Christmas that follows it. The book is called Rejoicing in Our Hope, Meditations for the Advent and Christmas Seasons by our guest, Bishop Robert J. Baker. You can get this book on time for your own Advent preparation and, of course, then through the Christmas season. It is item number 83542, 83542. And it's available at EWTNRC.com. Um, Bishop, one of the things that you do in this book, you make a number of references to very important church documents. Uh, one of them is Pope Benedict's encyclical on hope. Space uh, Salvi. That, that space salvi, which means hope saves. And I always like to point out to folks, this is why we don't believe that it's salvation by faith alone. The Bible doesn't teach that. It also says that we're saved by hope. You need to have hope. Uh, it's that, uh, and so folks understand that the, the three theological virtues are faith, hope, and charity. The reason they're called theological is that you have faith by God's grace. You have hope by God's grace. And you have true Christian love and charity by God's grace that they require our Lord to fill you with hope and as well as faith and love and all are necessary for salvation. So that's why it's not faith alone. Just you don't shortchange yourself. Get the whole package. And my Jesus wants to give you all faith as well as hope. But the, the other document besides Spes Salvi is... Um, Gaudium et, the Gaudium et Spes, which really sets the theme of your book because right. Gaudium et Spes means joy and hope, which you keep bringing up wonderfully throughout the book. But it also mentions, and one of the quotes uh, I've loved, you know, we read Gaudium et Spes as our high school textbook when I was a senior at, at high school seminary. And one of the great things is that we have hope for heaven, but that doesn't mean that we neglect the present world either. Uh, and you, you use that quote. Talk yeah. a little bit about that yeah, as well. Uh, surely. And before I go there, you, you mentioned Pope Benedict and his, actually his last full encyclical was yes. Space Salvi. Uh, people need to pick that up. It's, it's, it's probably one of the best things ever written on, on hope. Yes. It's a powerful document, and um, Spey Salvi, you know, Saved by Hope, mm -hmm. um, it, it's beautiful. So just with that little backdrop, um, Gaudium Space Second Vatican Council was mentioning the, the struggles of our world today and how we need to have those virtues of joy and hope inserted, which our church is trying to do. Uh, you interviewed me, <laughs> Uh, some time ago on this book, Prayers of Desperation, which mm -hmm. picked up on the problems people face that lead to desperation, despair, mm -hmm. 
that was a, a questioner's prayer for answers in our darkest moments. And there are a lot of dark moments. Mm -hmm. and, and so who's going to make a difference? The person who has faith, hope, and love. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, we have to help people that are struggling. Why, Lord? How, Lord? How am I going to come out of this? How are we going to come out of this battle between uh, the, the Israelis uh, and the Arab people? How are we going to find a solution? We're not. Mm -hmm. We are not. It's going to be the people who absorb themselves in God's grace through prayer and fasting. They're going to discover the ways, mm -hmm. whether they're politicians, uh, government leaders, church leaders. Uh, we, we're not going to do it ourselves because God has a way. Now, As a matter of fact, I would add, most of the problem has been caused by politicians from the Turks who had conquered that land and was selling it to everybody, the British who promised it to everybody, and the politicians ever since who are fighting everybody. Yeah. This is, you know, they keep making the mess bigger. Yep. But I think as we meditate on the history of God's activity in the Bible, through those beautiful books of the Bible, and our church's uh, tradition of teaching, such as, Pope Benedict's uh, message uh, in Space Salvi, uh, we will begin to see an avenue out of the darkness that we're experiencing. Uh, and it's a deep, deep darkness that can lead to despair. Um, uh, Mother Elvira taught me that even in a terrible situation like addictions, where people are dying uh, daily in big numbers, more mm -hmm. than in wars, mm -hmm. that Absolutely. we can alter that by uh, our church entering into that solution. And so <clears throat> this lady with only a third grade education who had a heart for addicted people because her father was an alcoholic, right. she saw the problems. She was a cook and she didn't have the training, but she had the compassion. And then she learned from them what it would take. So why aren't we Catholics more involved in helping people like that, mm -hmm. you know, which is just a big challenge. And I, I, I think I see in Italy that the Italian church is responding better than we are in America to addicts. Mm -hmm. Our resources are great. And the most important ones are the sacraments, mm -hmm. the sacrament of reconciliation and the Eucharist. So let's use them, huh? Mm -hmm. With people that are struggling, that is lead them to Jesus through those sacraments, and we'll see results. Not 100%, because the people have to respond in faith. And also, we have to give it time. Healing takes time. And here again, this is where patience and hope come into play. As we read the Bible, it took all those years of preparation mm -hmm. till Jesus appeared on the scene. But that's another point that you make in your book and, and call us to reflect on is if you have hope in God, you are given a power to develop the virtue of patience. People without hope cannot be patient. Right. I'm sure you've heard a few people uh, confess impatience. Uh, you I'm know, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pass over that in <laughs> silence. But the, but the, but you know that lack of patience 
that so many people express is partly because they lose hope that anything can improve. And I think that's one of the other points that you make is connecting the virtue of hope, that God-given virtue, hope in God, hope for eternal life in heaven, and the ability to develop patience until you have that hope. And our, our Catholic Christian faith inspires us in those ways. <clears throat> Often we leaders see the needs, but we rely on our lay people to figure out a way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think yeah. that's as it should be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when we were starting soup kitchens and shelters, it was lay people that put them together that had that sense of how to do it. And then we did them ecumenically. Uh, the, the soup kitchen, we couldn't handle it by ourselves. Uh, we joined with the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians, both in Gainesville. and, and, and so, Which is appropriate, <clears throat> exactly. you know, that, that we're Christians together in that they also need the virtues of faith, hope, and love. And they, they have, they, they ask God for that. So joining with them in acts of love is very appropriate. So also on the world scene, um, the issues related to the arms race is another really major issue I address in my book. And Pope Francis, I, I commend him in, in his seeing the, the danger. He said it wouldn't take much for uh, a single nuclear uh, weapon to be used in some of these uh, times of crisis, and we all have to be praying and fasting. Um, he's, he's alerted us to that problem, the mm-hmm. potential. Uh, the same in the area of uh, interfaith ecumenical relations. We, we need to, where we can, get together to, to, with the hope that someday we can be united. We, we don't see how. Uh, we look at that as a far-off uh, prayer of Jesus that all may be one. But there are ways we can do that. I, I address that the week of... A prayer for Christian unity is in the season of Christmas, and, and we need to look uh, also for ways to do practical ecumenism. Mm-hmm. There are very few that can do it as you could, and some people like Dr. Timothy George here in Birmingham, uh, who was in the Catholic Baptist dialogue. Uh, that's maybe not in our realm of possibility, but practical things we can do daily to build bridges so that these kind of things that are happening between the Israelis and Palestinians over beliefs, uh, heavily religious beliefs. No, uh, as a matter of fact, I would disagree with it. Okay. They're not fighting over religion. You don't think so? No, 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 no. This is much more uh, the result of nationalistic movements okay. that started especially uh, in Europe. Uh, you know, many, many of the early Zionists were much more... Uh, focused on a, a nationalistic uh, need for uh, 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 and and many yeah. of them, in fact, were uh, many of the early settlers in Israel that started the kibbutz system. They were socialists and Marxists fleeing mm-hmm. Russia uh, during the time of pogroms that were also political attacks on Marxists and socialists, and they came yeah. to start the kibbutz system as a socialist ideal. And in the, among the Arabs, Michel Aflac, back in the 1920s, 
began a nationalistic movement among Arabs. And that, as is always the case, is far more violent than religious differences. Okay. Jews and Muslims aren't trying to convert each other. It's a fight over nationhood and land. And, you know, it's, in fact, the absence of religion within much of that fight that I think <clears throat> is problematic. You know, what Hamas did on October 7th was flat against Sharia law. That's not what uh, Islam allows. And they were contradicting Sharia by killing babies, baking them in ovens and cutting their heads off. Yeah. This, that's <clears throat> flat against Sharia. Mm -hmm. And um, not that I agree with Sharia law, but I know its limits. And this is something that uh, I think we have to be careful not to portray this in religious terms when it's not. Okay. It's, it's highly you secular. Have, you have better knowledge of that than I do. However, the, the, the religious uh, elements can enter in some way to foment, or to say could reduce, could reduce the, the, the problem. Exactly. That would be true, <clears throat> absolutely true. So hope, hope in those situations um, that maybe the God factor uh, can predominate over the war factor. Mm -hmm. and, and those are, these are, I mentioned in, in my book, um, these are issues that come up and they come up in a special way. Um, after the Christmas season, their uh, prayer uh, for Christian unity, the week of Christian unity, and then yes. the, the arms race is, is not diminishing, it's growing. Mm -hmm. So how we deal with that so that the solution is not with nuclear weapons being the means to solve uh, the differences between peoples. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and not with uh, even conventional weapons. That's not such a, uh, you know, th there are times where you may have to confront a violent enemy, um, but you know, th that's what police have to deal with on yes. a regular basis without going beyond just means. Uh, and this is also where, you know, God our Lord sets what is a just means versus an unjust means. What is just use of force to prevent a murderous intent person from committing more murder? You know, police have to deal with that on a regular basis. Politicians do have to deal with that. We have to consider that, you know, with the drug trade and the human trafficking trade. These are dangerous, evil people, and we have to learn how, where is force necessary, where can we use other means? Uh, and yep. that's part of our task. Yeah, and I, I would say also the criminal justice system, we need to be part of that, helping people yes. who are imprisoned. Absolutely. And, and not back off when they go to prison, say, well, let them worry about it. And we do have, mm -hmm. a, 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 generally speaking, the Catholic Church in the United States is very good with its prison ministry efforts there. I mentioned that in my, uh, my book as well, in meditation, that uh, the healing and the hope comes from our faith, so don't abandon those people once they're in, in the prison system. 100%. In fact, this year, I'll be 
having my Christmas celebration at a uh, prison, a women's God prison in Texas. God bless you. And, you know, we're going to be broadcasting that uh, like we did last year from a men's prison. You know, that uh, I do that to encourage more people to get involved in prison ministry with real hope. You know, a number of my Texas buddies, uh, actually a lot of them are my hunting <laughs> buddies, they go to <coughs> prisons. There are 90 prisons all over Texas. Now they're working into Florida and Louisiana, and they want to come all elsewhere to get more people involved in giving retreats to inmates and teaching catechism. Hundreds of inmates are becoming Catholic, and not just you know, getting baptized right away. They're going through RCIA. And this fits your theme. There is hope. There is hope for the, the criminals. And we have to be patient as we treat them, teach them about Christ and the faith and hope and love. Yeah. When they come into such a mess of, of a family themselves. Before I became a bishop, I visited death row in Florida. I was chaplain to Catholic inmates on death row. So I, I, I experienced actually executions and mm. um, was with people prior to that time, and uh, I, I joined their church in trying to find alternatives to that as a solution. Um, and I, I, I know that it's, it's a difficult challenge, um, but hopefully we can find a way that, uh, that brings opportunities for healing and peace, but you have to be out there with them and yes. visit those people that are in those situations. And, uh, and I think these meditations on hope and joy are extremely important. Uh, their Mother Angelica used to say on a regular basis, well, there's some of those people out there that looked that they got baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't show the joy yes. of the faith. Right. And they oftentimes are <laughs> angry because their hope is kind of flagging, you know, and they're impatient and upset with uh, the liberals in the church or the conservatives in the church. And they're always, yeah. yeah. Well, Mother uh, Angelica was always, uh, always smiling. Yeah, yeah. And Mother Elvira, the nun that worked with addicts, always smiled. And she said that a smile is a sign of the presence of God. You need to share the, the love of God with a smile. Sometimes you give people hope just smiling at them. Yeah, and, but that smile comes from authenticity right. when it is itself rooted in having hope in God ourselves. Correct. This is a key element. You try to fake a smile and people will detect it. They'll think you're running for office. That's correct. <laughs> Indeed. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. So um, I want to mention also that uh, in my very last meditation, I, I mentioned a um, reference to Archabbot Lambert uh, Riley, who wrote Latin sayings for spiritual growth. Uh, I got to know him. He gave a retreat once to our priests. And his message is, Spe Gaudentis, rejoicing in hope. 
And there he talks about uh, the fact that what is it that makes us uh, happy? Is it uh, good health, friends, family? Uh, yes, but ultimately, ultimately, they're all going to pass away in this world, mm -hmm. everything in this world. And the ultimate uh, goal for all of us in our hope is reaching heaven. My little uh, buddy, I quote from often, blessed Carlo Cudis says, our, the Eucharist is our highway to heaven. And, and he died at 15 after um, really, I think God entering his life through infused graces that gave him beautiful insights. But he emphasizes that this world's temporal uh, heaven, uh, eternity is forever. And ultimately, ultimately our joy and our hope is going to be possession, possessing God in heaven. So we, we look forward uh, in hope and in joy to that possession that will be ours uh, one day. I'm 79 pushing 80, mm -hmm. so I don't know how many more years the Lord will give me. Uh, Let's just say that the two of us are a lot closer to meeting <laughs> Jesus than to our baptismal date. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and maybe I can wind out saying too that um, you mentioned baptism. And baptism and confirmation, uh, we were given uh, the, the grace of joy and hope. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we were invited into that world of Jesus where um, all these distressing uh, situations that may lead us to despair are put away because that Lord is working in us in those sacraments. Uh, baptism, we become disciples, and, and confirmation, we become apostles and missionaries yes. to take the message of joy and hope into our world. And that Christ candle of hope, ultimately that's Jesus that reminds us, and I'm going to ask you if I can light that. You can do that while I uh, get this. We'll, we'll see if we can get it lit. Uh, but we have just a few seconds left. Just want to mention that we are discussing the Bishop's book, Rejoicing in Our Hope, Meditations for the Advent and Christmas Seasons, written by our guest, Bishop Robert J. Baker. It is item number 83542 and is available at EWTNRC.com. There you go. Well, Bishop, we have to give our final blessing in the last just very, very few seconds. May Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. May you have a blessed Thanksgiving. Enjoy your family. Have good football games. Don't fight. <laughs> and share the turkey. And keep us in between your gas bill, electric bill, and cable bill, and we'll pay our bills too. Thank you, and God bless.